Ecclesiastes 9. Am I not coming through? All right, we got it. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 9 is where we're going to be this morning. I also want to add to all of the things that have been said about garage sale. I, uh, yesterday was a wonderful opportunity. We talk about our values as a church, one of our values being use our resources. And yesterday was a great example of that, of that, that we used our resources for the kingdom of God. And, and specifically, you guys, uh, whether that's financially giving, whether that's uh, it, you know buying things at the garage sale, whether that's your generous donations that allowed us to raise money for the students, whether that's also the time and the energy and the effort that so many of you guys put into the garage sale yesterday, uh, that is a prime example of using our resources to, to expand the kingdom of God. And so uh, I'm so grateful for you guys. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all the hard work, all the gener- your generosity, your efforts. Uh, and so super thankful for you guys and what you guys were able to accomplish yesterday and what God was able to accomplish through you guys yesterday as you use your resources for the kingdom of God. Ecclesiastes 9 Uh, Picking up in verse 13 is where we're going to be this morning. Ecclesiastes 9, beginning in verse 13. It's a lot of text, so it's not going to be on the screen this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, there are ones in front of you if you would like. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, beginning in verse 13. It says this. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, And a great king came against it and besieged it, building a great siege work against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. The words of the wise are heard in quiet, uh, excuse me, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. Chapter 10. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of a ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness may lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If an iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth with him fa- uh, win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Beginning, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Though through sloth the roof sinks in, and through indolence the house leaks, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for the bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. Let me pray for us. We'll get into the word this morning. 
Heavenly Father, I thank you for this gathering of believers. The, the opportunity every Sunday morning that we get to come together and, and gather together with people who proclaim the name of Jesus, people who, who believe and, and, and understand and recognize the grace of God for their lives through the death and resurrection of Jesus. God, I thank you that we get to gather and praise you and sing your name. We get to spend time in your word hearing from you, God. I pray for every single person in here, for the person in here who does not know you, anybody in here who, who does not have a relationship with you, God, I pray that today their, their eyes would be open to the beauty of the gospel, God, that you would speak to their hearts and their minds. And God, those of us who know you, God, I pray that you, we will be shaped and molded into the image of Jesus by your word this morning, God, that we will leave here better than when we came because of our time in the word. God, I pray you would give every single one of us ears to hear what you're saying. And God, that you would give us hearts that are ready to apply it to our lives, Father. We love you and we praise you. It's in the precious holy name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. One of the, one of the problems uh, preaching a place for a while is that uh, I don't remember if I repeated stories or not. Like I, I, I only have a limited number of them, right? And so I'm about to tell a story. And I asked Kenzie earlier, uh, yesterday, I said, Did I, have I said this story before? She didn't remember. I don't remember. So if you've heard it before, do, don't stop me. Just let me go. Yeah, exactly. Probably, you, probably, you probably don't remember anyways. I'm giving way too much credit. Uh, <laughs> so um, when, I, uh, when I was in high school, a lot of people uh, don't look back on their high school years as being the years that are full of wisdom, right? Like that's like, that's like one of the general principles of high schoolers. They're not the wisest people in the world. And uh, no offense to the high schoolers in the room, uh, you'll get wiser. But um, we, <laughs> uh, some are wiser than others. And this this one example, uh, I had some friends uh, that on my baseball team that I played with, and um, they found a a bullet outside, and they were they were outside just walking around hanging out, and they they picked up a live round like a bullet that they found outside, and, and being high schoolers that were not brilliant and, and didn't have great wisdom, they decided the most fun thing they could think to do with it would be to, uh, to set it off. Uh, and so they, they, they found a crack in the concrete, and they put this live round in the crack of the concrete, and they got a little screwdriver and a hammer, and, and, and don't worry, they were safe. He put a glove on his hand, <laughs> yeah, a glove on his hand, and safety glasses, so we're good to go. And uh, and so he he, uh, he, ta- he puts the live round in the ground. He takes a, a screwdriver and a hammer, and my friend uh, goes to just tap the pin on and fire the round off right into the ground. It's supposed to make a little explosion. It's gonna be fun, right? And so uh, <laughs> my other friends are filming it. Like this is the most fun thing they've ever seen, like off the edge. And the the most haunting thing to me is as they set the round in, uh, the video is off to the side. They set the round in, they get the screwdriver ready, the, the hammer, and my friend just gives a little smile to the camera, like this is going to be awesome. And then, boom, <laughs> like, taps it, boom, explodes. Uh, took the glove off his hand, uh, took a lot of the skin off two of his fingers. I was really glad he had the glove on because he, he managed to keep all of his hands together. But shrapnel flies everywhere. There's a crater in the ground now. I mean, it was, it was a really, really dumb idea. <laughs> right? Like Looking back, it would, it would have been really cool, uh, but uh, it, made, it made for a really funny video, knowing that he's okay in the end, that little smile right before disaster. Um, but, but it's a really dumb idea, right? That's a thing, you hear the story, and you're like, that's high schoolers. Like, that's a group of high schoolers that would do that. Nobody in their, four, well, maybe people in their 40s will do that, but most people in high school, <laughs> like, that's a high school story. Uh, there's advantage to wisdom, right? Like, there's advantage to not doing dumb things, 
It, it, there's advantage to, to not taking a live round and putting it in the ground and taking a hammer and a screwdriver to it, right? Like there's, there is advantage in life to having a clear, level-headed approach to reality, like understanding cause and effect and seeing that, that if you tap this live round, you might lose your hand. Like it, there, there are, there's advantage to having wisdom. A- and Solomon, that, that's what he, it, throughout, uh, th- that's kind of his calling card, right? Like in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, there's a lot of advantage to wisdom, not just not talking spiritually, not talking avoiding sin or following God. There's just basic cause and effect. There's a lot of advantage to understanding right uh, like the 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 the, co- the consequences of your action there's basic under there's basic value in understanding the difference between wisdom and folly and here's this is what we're going to see this morning in this passage wisdom is better than folly right knowing the difference between wisdom and folly is going to save you a lot of trouble but it can't save your soul knowing the difference between wisdom and folly having a clear level-headed understanding of of what your actions are going to produce, that's good, and it's going to save you a lot of issues. But that has limitations. And the one thing that it cannot do is it cannot save your soul. Growing in wisdom, growing in understanding, growing in insight is never going to grow you to completion, like grow you to, to perfection, to make you a perfect human being. It will not save your soul. Solomon, in this text, all the, the whole second the second half of chapter nine, all into chapter ten, it's all about wisdom. Where they're really highlighting and, and championing wisdom to us. But Solomon, he starts out like he gives us two ideas with wisdom, and the first thing he gives us is the limitations of wisdom. He's he's about to champion it and tell us how great wisdom is. And and the, the problem with these chapters, chapter nine into chapter ten, is that they're really difficult to interpret uh, from a one from a, ling- a linguistic standpoint, but also from a, a, a preaching standpoint, because it's just a, it, it's a lot of it's a collection of a lot of different proverbs that all seem to have different ideas. Um, it's very similar to the book of Proverbs. If you read Proverbs, part of it is just proverb, 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 proverb. That's why it's called Proverbs, and they're not always uh, connected to each other. Uh, so this is somewhat like that, and so it's a little hard to interpret. But all of these together. Uh, talk about wisdom and the value of wisdom, and, and he's about to champion wisdom, but he starts out, the first thing he wants us to know is that there are limitations to wisdom. Like the first thing he wants us to know is wisdom is powerful, but it's not supreme. There are limitations to wisdom. Look with me in verse 13. Solomon says, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me, or, or an, it impressed me greatly. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Look with me in verse 17. The words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. What Solomon is getting at is that wisdom is powerful. Wisdom has power. You can overcome a lot of difficulties. You can overcome a lot of problems by operating with wisdom. There's this wonderful story in Second Samuel where David is king over Israel. He's actually just regained the throne after his son tried to, to, to overthrow him. And uh, s- David is ruling over Israel. And, and there's this guy named Sheba uh, who's a troublemaker in Israel. And he, he ga- gathers a group together and he says, we're not going to have David as our king. And this, you know, he runs off and he hides in this fortified city gathering an army together. And so what David does is he sends his army after Sheba, and he, he sends Joab, the commander of his army, and they go after Sheba. They go to the city where Sheba is staying, 
and they, they build siege works around it. Their whole army encamps around it. And what they're going to do is they're going to wait it out and tear down that wall and destroy the city and anybody connected to Sheba because they, they want Sheba. They want to end this rebellion before it really gets going because they just had this major rebellion. And so this whole army is camped outside the city. The siege works are ready. They're about to tear the city, the wall down piece by piece, brick by brick to get into the city. And the Bible tells us that there's a wise woman who lives in the city. And right as they're about to tear the wall down, she gets up to the edge of the wall and she says, guys, we're Israelites, you're Israelites, are you, are you going to come in and destroy us all? Is that your plan? And Joab says, well, no, that's, that's not what we want to do. That's not our goal. We just want Sheba. And she says, wait here. And this wise woman, she goes into the city and tells the people what to do. And they go, they take Sheba, they kill him, they cut off his head. And the wise woman tosses the head over the, the wall. And Joab gets the head and walks off with his army. <laughs> He's like, thanks, and walks away. Like, wisdom is powerful, <laughs> right? This one wise woman came to the wall, and because of her wisdom, because of her ability to see cause and effect and understand the situation, she was able to save her entire city. Very similar example to the story that Solomon is telling us. Wisdom has power. There's a lot of value and benefit to having wisdom. But the problem is that wisdom also has limitations. I, I think that... You and I, especially as Americans, we, we like to think that we live in a meritocracy. Meritocracy means that the best ideas win out. The people that, the people that work the hardest get are the ones that get promoted. The people that, that have the best ideas, those are the ones that get elevated, I, I, as opposed to someone getting promoted because they're so-and-so's son or they're related to the king. Like that, that I, as opposed to those, we, we like to think this is a meritocracy. Best ideas win Best, uh, the best hardworking people, the ones that advance. A and when, so when we think of wisdom, we tend to, to highlight it and say, if we just grow in wisdom, if we just get the best ideas out there, we're going to move forward. We're going to improve. We're going we're gonna to elevate our country. We're going to elevate our company. We're going to elevate our lives and our family. If we just get the best ideas out there and grow in wisdom, uh, everything is going to move forward because wisdom has power. But the problem is that wisdom has limitations. The first limitation, Solomon, there are two limitations that Solomon highlights. There are several limitations, but there are two things that, that produce a, a border around wisdom and keep wisdom from being effective. And the first one that Solomon highlights is social, stand, social standing and prejudice. Our social standings and, and prejudice get in the way of the effectiveness of our wisdom. Look with me again in verse 15. Tells the story about this wise man who saved the city, this poor wise man says, there was a fountain and a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city, yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. So, so the first limitation that Solomon gives us for wisdom is, is social standing and prejudice. Sometimes the way that people are viewed gets in the way of the best ideas getting out there. Sometimes the, the social standing and, and cultural ideas get in the way of, of the, the, the entire country or the entire company or the entire family moving forward because, because of social dynamics, because of the social pressures, because of prejudices. Those things get in the way of perfect wisdom getting out there. I think about the, the United States, for example. For, for much of our history, uh, and even some into today, uh, th there are... The way that white people have treated black people in this country has not been good, right? The, 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 the way that white people viewed black people in this country are, are as inferior, as less than, as uh, lower than throughout much uh, of the country's history. And even in today, there are, there are plenty of, of races still out there, right, uh, unfortunately. 
And so that, that has occurred throughout the history of this country, and that is a, a shame for this country. Uh, setting aside all of the sin issues, right? Setting aside the fact that racism is a sin, setting aside that, that God, it doesn't please God, setting aside that we are all made in the image of God and loved by God equally, setting all of that aside, just looking at it from the way that Solomon looks at it, this cause and effect, this just under the sun perspective, setting all those other things aside, it's not good for the United States because the best ideas are not the ones getting forward. How many black people in the history of this country had good ideas, had brilliant minds, but were not listened to because of the color of their skin? Uh, it's not an answerable question, but that's the, that's the idea. Prejudice, social standing gets in the way of wisdom. Wisdom has its limitations. You might have great ideas, you might have awesome wisdom, but, but if someone else views you as less than or as inferior because of the color of your skin or for whatever reason, then your ideas may not be the ones that get accepted. You might have great ideas at your job, but you might be viewed as too young or too old to have great ideas, and so they might go with someone else. You might, have, uh, you might not have the resume that your coworker has, and so when you give an idea, and you, you might have the, the wisest idea, the best way forward, but because your resume doesn't look like your coworker's resume, they'll default to the coworker, and your idea won't be heard. Social standing and prejudice can get in the way of wisdom. And what this means for us, and this is why it's important, for many of us, and, and we can read Proverbs, we can read Ecclesiastes, and this is what Solomon is afraid of. We can read it and decide that wisdom is the goal for us. That we, we need to make wisdom our goal. We just need to get a little wiser. We need to get the best ideas out there. We just need to be the, the wisest people. Like we, we want that to be the goal. And Solomon is pointing out that if you ha even if you have perfect wisdom, you, you achieve perfection in wisdom. You, you clear away all the foolishness in your life. You clear away every wrong belief you've ever had. You achieve perfect wisdom. You still might not make the impact that you think you want to make because other people might, view, might look down on you for whatever reason. And, you're, and because of social standing and prejudice, your wisdom might not be as effective. Wisdom has limitations. Second limitation that Solomon points out, uh, something that's powerful and, and can, can dampen the effectiveness and, and, and power of wisdom is foolishness. It's folly. Folly is more powerful than wisdom. Look with me in verse uh, 18. It says, wisdom is better than weapons of war. Again, wisdom is powerful. It is really good to be wise, to have a clear understanding of the world. Wisdom is powerful. Wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. End of chapter 10, verse 1. Dead flies make the perfume's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Again, this is a limitation of wisdom. Think about it in your own life. If you achieve 90% wisdom, Right, you are acting wisely 90% of the time. Uh, you generally, I would say this probably <laughs> better than most of us, right? You, but you're acting wisely 90% of the time. The other 10% is going to really offset what you do. You operate with wisdom consistently day in and day out. You make wise decisions day in and day out. But you make a foolish decision. That can offset a lot of the good that you accomplish with your wisdom. 
similar uh, on, a, on a corporate level as well in our companies, in our country. A little bit of foolishness can offset a lot of the good done by wisdom. When a little bit of foolishness gets into our, uh, into our rulers, into the leaders above us in our country, then that can offset a lot of the wisdom in our country as well. When a little bit of foolishness enters a CEO or employees of the company, then a lot of the good that's done through wisdom can be undone by that foolishness of the CEO or the employees of a company. A little bit of foolishness goes a long way, and it overpowers a lot of the wisdom that we accomplish. So again, you could have perfect wisdom in your life. You won't, but you could have perfect wisdom in your life. And still, your company or your country are not going to advance perfectly along their way because a little bit of foolishness among the country or among the company is going to offset a lot of the good that you're going to do with your wisdom. Wisdom is powerful, but it's not supreme. It has a lot of limitations. And to make it worse for us is that none of us are going to achieve perfect wisdom. So even if we make wisdom our goal and we strive to grow in wisdom and to always make wise decisions and to, to make that the thing that we accomplish and seek after, like if that becomes our goal, we will progressively get more and more and more wise, but we're never going to reach 100%. And that little bit of folly is going to offset a lot of the gains and the growth that we accomplish with wisdom. Solomon is about to tell us just how great wisdom is and why we should seek it and why we should have it. But before he gets there, he's pointing out to us that wisdom has limitations. And we'll come back around to this in a minute, but, but he's pointing out to us that wisdom is a great thing to have, but it's a horrible goal. <laughs> because it's not something that you're going to accomplish perfectly, and it's not something that's going to have its desired result every time. Wisdom has its limitations. It's powerful, but it's not supreme. And with that in mind, Solomon gets into this understanding of wisdom, and he tells us wisdom is important for all aspects of life, all parts of life. Wisdom is something that we should seek after. It's something that we should want to have across the board in every aspect of life. He sings wisdom's praises here, beginning in verse 2 of chapter 10. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense, and he says to everyone that he is a fool. Uh, I love verse 3 uh, because all verse 3 says is this guy is walking. Uh, he's just walking on a road. And it's so obvious to everybody that this guy is a fool just because of the way he's walking. Like he's, all he's doing is he's, he's such a fool that he's just walking about and people are like, mm, that guy's dumb. Uh, that guy is a fool. That's what he says about, about foolishness. <laughs> uh, Solomon gives off this, this idea that it's obvious to everybody. If you're a fool, you're a fool. It's obvious to everybody. Uh, so, but he's, so he's talking about how much better it is to have wisdom. Uh, look with me again uh, down in verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? So Solomon is pointing out, again, that it is a lot better to be wise than to be foolish. Wisdom is a good thing, because fools will, will talk incessantly, they'll talk endlessly, and they will be uh, overcome by their words, just spewing out things that make no sense in the end and have no direction to them just by their very way of walking. It'll be obvious to everybody by their their casual manner of living, that they're a fool. Wisdom is way better than foolishness. Wisdom is, is a good thing to have. And Solomon points out to us three areas of life that we really need to have wisdom. 
The first area of life that we need to have wisdom is with our rulers. We really, really want the people in charge of us, <laughs> in control of our country, in control of our, our state, our city, the people in authority over us. We want them to have wisdom. Notice what he says here in verse 5. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Solomon's pointing out that, that one of the evils that he sees in the world, one of the problems with the world that he sees is when someone gets into leadership who's foolish. And what they do as this ruler is they start bringing people with them, fools that they set in high places of authority. They start adding to the problem by putting more foolish people in positions of leadership, more foolish people in positions of authority. And the result that Solomon points out is this topsy-turvy society, the society that has no idea what it's doing, the society that is fundamentally broken and, and messed up. That's what he's pointing out in verse 7, what he means by this when he says, I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. His point is when you have foolish leaders who are leading the country, the country doesn't know what they're doing, and they get into a whole mess of turmoil. It is a, a jacked-up society. And I don't feel like I need to belabor this point because I think this is something most of us see and understand. Right? Regardless of where you are on the political spectrum, if you're on the conservative side and you tend to vote Republican, you probably look at the government today and you, and you look at the president and the people in authority and you think they're fools and there's foolishness that's descending from the, uh, those in authority and it's leading to a chaotic and crazy country. If you're on the liberal side and you tend to vote Democrat, then you probably think of the former president as a fool and the people in leadership then, and their leadership and guidance leads to a lot of craziness and chaotic uh, aspects of our country. The point is all of us, it is obvious to every single person in here that having foolish people in leadership and in authority, is m it, it jacks up the country. <laughs> and so Solomon's point is you really want to have wisdom in authority. You want your rulers to have wisdom. Solomon points this out again in verse 16. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, or your king is childish, and your princes feast in the morning. Meaning they, they, they have no regard for what time of day. They immediately they get up and they start, they start drinking, they start eating, they start living for themselves. Verse 17, happy are you, O land, when your king is a son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. He, then he points out, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. I think he's talking about a nation there. Through, through laziness, through poor leadership and poor management, a nation sinks, it, it, it breaks down, it starts to crumble. Verse 19, bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. The, the, uh, that, that text is one of the hardest in the book of Ecclesiastes to interpret. Uh, but what I think he's saying there in verse 19 is, again, he's talking about this feasting, that he says in 16 and 17, he's talking about eating and, and living, and he's saying that it's a bad thing when people with money, the people with authority, the people with power, they spend all of their time with bread and with wine. They spend all their time living for themselves and not for the country because when they're when, through laziness, through poor management, the country declines. Solomon's point is the same. You want wisdom and leadership. That is better for the country. It's better for your company if the CEO knows what he's doing, right? It's better for your position if your boss knows what she's doing, right? If the person in authority over you knows what they're doing, that is a good thing. You don't want a foolish person in authority over you. You don't want a foolish person to rule over you 
and, and have control over your country or your company or your life. You don't want that to be the case. Wisdom is better than foolishness when it comes to rulers. On the flip side, we need wisdom as citizens in the way that we interact with authority and the way we interact with rulers. Verse 4, if the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. So what Solomon is saying is if you're in the presence of a ruler and the, the, the leadership over you, their anger is turned against you, don't flee, don't, don't rise up in anger. It, a calm response will probably solve the situation. What he's pointing out, again, this is general cause and effect. What he's pointing out is you act with wisdom as a citizen, it's probably going to smooth things over. Verse 20, he says the same thing. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for the bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature. Tell the matter. So he's pointing out as a citizen, have some wisdom with how you live as a citizen. Uh, especially in these days, think of the, uh, in these times with Solomon, uh, with kings having as much authority as they did and as, uh, as much as dissenters were killed or prosecuted, what, uh, what Solomon is pointing out is maybe don't speak negatively about leadership if leadership can kill you, right? Like maybe just be wise in the way that you handle being a citizen. That same, that same is true for us. Again, not, not the exact applications, but the same idea is true as citizens. We want to have wisdom as citizens of our country. Wisdom is helpful in all aspects of our lives. Solomon gives us this third uh, point, point where, where wisdom is necessary, and it's in our work. Wisdom is important for workers. Verse 8. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and the one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there's no advantage to the charmer. Solomon is pointing out his idea there is in verse 10. Wisdom helps one to succeed. If you're digging a pit, ha have the wisdom to know not to fall into the pit. If you're breaking through a wall that at these days may have a snake in it, have the wisdom to not get bitten by a snake by like slamming your hand into a wall, right? If you're a snake charmer, have the wisdom to not get bitten before you charm the snake, right? Like, <laughs> you need to have wisdom in your job. You need to have wisdom as a worker. It tends to work out better for you. You can avoid falling into pits or getting bitten by snakes twice in two different examples in this, in this, uh, in this passage. I if, you if you have wisdom in your job, it's going to work out better for you, more than likely. You'll have better performance, better production at your job. Your, your bosses will tend to like you better <laughs> if you have wisdom in your job. It is better to be a wise worker than to be a foolish worker. So Solomon is singing the praises of wisdom here throughout the chapter 10. He's pointing out in all aspects of our life, we want wise rulers. We want to be wise citizens. We, we want to be wise workers. We want to be wise business leaders. We want wisdom with every aspect of our life, it is important that we be wise. But again, Solomon prefaced this entire conversation by saying that wisdom has limitations. We want wisdom. We need to be wise. We need to be people who operate and live with wisdom. But that can't be our goal. Because imperfect wisdom, imperfectly applied to an imperfect world, is never going to result in perfection. 
It's never going to result in us growing and becoming completed human beings, fulfilled human beings, that we, people who are reaching our fullest potential. We can seek after wisdom and grow in wisdom day after day after day, but we are never going to reach 100% perfect wisdom. And even if we did, we're not going to be ac- accomplish what we want to with it. Wisdom is something that we need, but it's not a great goal. So my goal for you guys this morning is not that you would become wise people. I hope that you would be wise. But my goal for you, and I hope your goal for yourselves, is not that you're going to become wise people. Here's the eternal perspective for us this morning. What we need is that we need God to align us with reality. Our goal is not to become wise. Our goal is to focus our eyes on the Lord. And through a relationship with him, allow him to align us with reality. Allow him to grow us in wisdom. As we grow in Christ, we will grow in our understanding of wisdom. That's the goal. One of my least favorite business practices that is really popular today uh, is when a company becomes consumed uh, and, and fixated on their stock price. And so what leadership does with the company is they start to make all these changes to the company just to affect stock price. So they'll, they'll affect mass layoffs in a company or they'll, they'll go on a hiring spree or they'll raise their prices or they'll do this or that because they think that this action is going to lead to a better stock price. So, and it may, in the short term, lead to a better stock price of the company. But what they're forgetting is that their job is not to raise their stock price. Their job is to lead a healthy, thriving business. And that the best thing in the long term for the stock price is to have a healthy, thriving business. But if they're focused on their stock price, they may be doing things that are helpful. They may be doing things that are hurting in the long term. But that's not their focus. They're just focused on the stock price. So many of us, when we think about wisdom, are focused on the stock price. Wisdom. We're focused on this thing, and we want to accomplish this thing and grow in this thing. And so we we are fixated on wisdom and have that as the goal, have that is the thing that we want to accomplish. But we need to stop looking at the stock price. Stop looking at wisdom as the thing to grow in and start looking at the company. Start fixing our eyes on God. Fixing our relationship on him. Focusing on him. And just like a natural result of having a healthy company is a growing stock price, a natural result of fixing your eyes on the Lord, having a restored relationship with him and walking in it, is that you'll grow in wisdom. Fix your eyes on him instead of seeking wisdom as the goal. And the goal for, that's why uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, he says our, what, what his prayer for every single one of us, his prayer for the Roman church and for us as well, is that we would be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. His point is that when we fix our eyes on the Lord, We are transformed in our mind. Day after day, more and more, our mind is transformed. We are aligning more and more with who God is and what he wants in the world. And the result of that is that we're living wisely. We're making wiser and wiser decisions. That's why James is able to say in the book of James, if you lack wisdom, just ask God for it. Because the result, the desire is not to grow in wisdom, to, to get wisdom. The, de- the, the desire is to follow God. God wants you to have wisdom. So fix your eyes on him. Allow him to align your, your heart and your mind with reality. And if you are lacking wisdom, if you need wisdom for decision making, for, for anything going on in your life, just ask him. Seek 
the Lord and wisdom will be granted to you. That's why Solomon is able to say at the beginning of Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. If you have a right relationship with God, wisdom is going to follow suit. So my prayer for every single one of you, my goal for you is not that you would have wisdom as your goal, but that you would have your eyes firmly fixed on Jesus. And that as a result of that, you would grow in wisdom. Every single one of us are people incapable of working our way to perfection. We are incapable of growing our knowledge and our wisdom and our understanding to get to 100% and to accomplish what we want to accomplish in life. Every single one of us are incapable of that, of, uh, are incapable of that as sinful, broken human beings. But it's by the grace of God, brought about by the death and the resurrection of his son Jesus, that you and I are able to have a relationship with God. And by his grace, we're able to grow in wisdom and understanding. And day after day, more and more, we're able to clearly see what God's will is for our life and for our world. And by result of that, we'll be living more and more wisely every single day. So my prayer for you is that you would fix your eyes on Christ and therefore grow in wisdom. If we're a church that's wise, it'll be because we're a church that has our eyes fixed on Jesus. If your company is wise, It'll be because you're fixated first and foremost on fixing your eyes on Jesus and allowing him to guide uh, your actions and your thoughts in your workplace. If our country is wise, it's because we are a country first and foremost that fixes our eyes on Jesus and, and allows him to determine and decide our way forward. Every other idea of wisdom, every other concept is something that's going to fade. Only God has eternal insight and understanding. So allow him to guide your heart and your life as you fix your eyes on him. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith and your hope in Jesus, then it, it does not matter to me how wise you are because it does not matter to God how wise you are. What God wants for you is not your service. It, what he wants from you is not your your, your checkbox of growing in wisdom and understanding. What he wants from you is not your, your ability to figure things out and make good decisions. What God wants from you is the relationship made possible by the death and resurrection of his son. And so if that's you and you've never placed your faith in Jesus in a second, I'm going to pray, then we're going to sing. And while we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. And if that's you and you want to place your faith in Jesus for the very first time, I encourage you to come forward. I'd love to pray with you and talk with you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus. You can go to the back if you don't want to come up here. We have people who would love to talk with you about what it means to place your faith in Jesus. Let's pray, and then we'll stand and sing. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the glorious good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus. That we as broken sinners, as, as, as people who have rebelled against you, as unwise human beings, God, God, we have the ability to have a restored relationship with you, and God, that, that you want a relationship with us. You wanted enough that you sent your son to die on a cross for us. He rose again from a grave for us, God. You want a relationship with us. You want to pour out wisdom and insight and understanding on us. You want us to make good decisions. You want us to be leaders that are wise. You want us to be citizens that are wise. You want us to, to do all of those things wisely, but more than any of that, and as a result of, uh, you want those things to be a result of having a relationship with you. So God, I pray that every single person in this room would have their eyes fixed on you, their souls cleansed by the blood of Jesus, their, their soul resurrected by the life of Christ. God, I pray that every single person in this room would know you 
have their eyes fixed on you and so grow in wisdom. God, I pray for anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, who doesn't have that relationship with you, God, I pray this morning would be the morning that they'd be set right, that their heart would be aligned with you, and they, God, they would have a restored relationship with you. Father, we love you, we praise you. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.